Hello, I'm Jane Daly and this is my podcast for people who know. As a thought leader and work-life activist, I am curious about people who are accelerating their work and life. And whilst finding their own balance, they have also found time to inspire others to do the same. My interest in Stella Collins started when she came onto the L&D circuit talking about neuroscience in learning. And I've been fascinated since that point and have been absorbed in her book on the subject ever since. Stella, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really nice to be here with you, Jane. Tell us what it's like in Belgium for you today. Just um, let us know what's going on for you because we know that you're in Belgium now. So, it, well, actually, it's lovely in Belgium today. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's lovely and warm. Um, things are just beginning to start coming out of uh, lockdown. So this week we've got sort of the shops are all open with social distancing and uh, the museums are open, which I'm really looking forward to because we kind of arrived in this lovely new country with a fantastic history and stuff to explore. And of course, we've, we've been out on our bikes and that's been about it. So some really exciting times ahead from you, for you then. Absolutely, yeah. So we, I um, started Stella Labs in, um, well, we started officially in October. I moved here at the very, very end of January. And we've got a fantastic mission to um, beat the, the skills gap, the digital skills gap in the technology world that is already with us but is only growing and I think corona has probably made that skills gap uh, or is going to make that skills gap even bigger still and our aim is to um, not to beat it completely but to, to really really support it and to help people get new roles new skills new uh, capabilities new competences by using really effective science-based learning methods and amazing yeah, I'm being really relevant to what to what their needs are. Definitely. And um, as you and I have previously spoken about, um, for you, it's all about bringing on the learning revolution. Yes. Yes. Which I- is fantastic. And, um, you know, I want to explore that with you. And I'm going to encourage you to get in a time machine with me, if that's okay. So I want you to come in this time machine and buckle up with me. Um, because, um, you know, I genuinely believe that some of the things that happened in the past um, help us navigate better in the future. And I know for you, um, I uh, having reread your book recently, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, I can see where some of those um, historical events have played a huge role in how you've um, created Stella Labs and what you're doing today. Great. So, Stella, shall we get in the time machine? Are you happy? I'm happy to go in a time machine with you, Jane. It sounds fun. (laughs) Fantastic. So, let's have a bit of fun. So, we're going to get in the time machine. And um, because I'm in the driver's seat at the moment, I will hand it over later, Stella. But for the moment, I'm in the driving seat. So, I'm going to press the buttons and I'm going to take us back to a year, which I believe was pretty significant for you. And this is 2015. A significant year for you. And just to set the scene, so we're in our time machine and you and I have arrived in 2015. And um, we've arrived on Earth where the global economy is more volatile than usual. In the UK, we have a general election. And one of the most significant events is that Libby Lane made history to become the first female bishop. So an incredible achievement in 2015. Apple Pay was launched onto the technological scene. 
And the internet of DNA um, was set in motion. And as we even see today, it started this incredible um, transformation of uh, digital health and medical services. Adele was number one with her um, her record Hello, which um, she'd been off the scene for five years. And more importantly, you launched your first book, <laughs> which is called The Neuroscience for Learning and Development, a bestseller, which continues to sell out, I believe. So how did that feel for you, Stella? Tell us about 2015 and what you remember about that time. Okay. Well, actually, it wasn't my first book. I already had two webinar, uh, sorry, two pocketbooks, management oh, pocketbooks okay. out already. And I'd already written quite a number of um, e-learning, uh, e-books, not e-learning, e-books. So um, it wasn't really my first book, but it was the first kind of big, uh, big book, shall yes. we say. Um, and it was, it was really, really fun to do. I really enjoyed it. I was invited by Kogan Page to write the book. Um, for me, it was a great journey because it helped me really consolidate some of what I some of what I knew instinctively, some of what I'd learned as I'd come through, some of you know the sort of studies I'd been doing all along through my journey as a, in L and D. Um, and it just helped me consolidate it all and kind of put it into a, a framework, a consistent framework. So it was it was a great thing to do. And I actually did the first draft. Fortunately, I was in Thailand at the time. My husband was working over there and I had a, a whole week. I joined him and all day I would sort of plan the book and then I'd dash out to the swimming pool and then I'd go and sit in the sun for a bit. So it was a really lovely, it was a really lovely um, experience. And then I was really pleased how well received the book was because it's terrifying when you push a book out. You think, oh my goodness, what if nobody reads it? But I've been really, really pleased with how well received it was. And that's actually how I ended up at Stella Labs because my colleague, my now colleague, Raf, um, was looking for a way to make training in the technology sector really effective. And he'd read a lot. He's a massive reader. Um, and he'd read a lot. And he said he read my book and that just really helped him consolidate all the other ideas he read and it sort of put them into one place. So it's, it's led to a lot of really exciting things, that book. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's, I mean, since, um, as you say, you've had a number of publications, but this big book that helped you consolidate your thinking at that time. Um, so it's been five years since you put those ripples out into the market and affected many people, including your now business partner, myself and many others. So what would you tell your, um, you know, what would you tell your 2015 self, Stella? Oh, my 2015 self. What would I tell her? Um, something that I have tried to tell myself from since I was probably fairly young, and certainly as I've got more mature, um, I continue to tell myself. And it's really about um, believing in yourself and believing that you're right. It's so easy to, you know, I'm, I'm, fantastically curious. So I just love to find out new things all the time. But of course, every time you find out a new thing, you realize that it was something you didn't know. So I'm constantly realizing there's stuff I don't know. And the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And that can sometimes make you feel a little bit um, like, like you don't, well, you don't, you don't know everything. You just don't know everything. And that can sometimes make you start to doubt what you do know. And really what I keep trying to tell myself, and I would definitely tell my 
2015 self is believe that you you do know something you, you can't possibly know everything but actually to, to to keep your own confidence about what you what you do know and what you do believe and what you do think is right and you know Stella I know for you um you know you've mentioned it yourself science-based learning and this practical application of learning is incredibly important to you and you know in business it's imperative but we know that that isn't always easy so for you since you've launched the book you know what have you learned about that particular area so you were saying that you know you've been on a learning journey yourself so what have you been learning since 2015 about your specific areas of neuroscience so just um so one of the things that i've been interested in since i wrote the first edition of the book, and then I did include in the second edition of the book, is more about how we're working, you know, we're all working more online now, currently much more than normal. And I'm really interested as to how that affects our learning and how long-term that's going to affect our learning. Um, so for me, that that whole area, of, I'm, I'm really interested in the physicality of learning. I think when, when we learn the way we've evolved, we use our bodies as much as our brains so it's the sensory stuff we get in but also the the physical actions that we add into our learning and all that additional information that is sort of it's contextual really yes. um it's the environment the physical environment the physiological environment um and our psychological environment and how that's impacted by being online as opposed to being in a real world and i know online is real but it's different so I'm, I'm not saying I've learned anything. Have I learned? I have learned from it. I have learned from exploring that. I haven't come up with any serious conclusions yet, but I do really think that we need to, to keep that physical presence somehow or, or, to, or to replace it in some way. No, it's really interesting. And I, 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 I think you and I should get back in the time machine now and, and go to the present day because the point you make around, um, you know, the conditions. So you and I have arrived now in 2020. It is rocky and this, uh, this, this climate is hard. It is hard, isn't it, to step into. There is some green shoots of things that we're seeing, but it's, but it's incredibly difficult to, um, to deal with. And obviously with your fascinating fascination and your curiosity around this particular area you know tell us what you're observing and um you know what the impacts of what you're observing are so i mean clearly i'm observing observing a lot of people moving to digital and i think it's been really interesting that in the past people were not everybody but some people were quite reluctant to do that and actually they've kind of really embraced it and it's like oh actually this is a lot more fun than I thought. So I think that's really good. And I think there'll be lots of people who have experienced conversations online or learning online or different activities online. And they're actually going to think, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And, and that will be great for the future because it means it's, it's got over that whole, we, we need to have a change experience to change everything. We've, we've had it. The experiments yeah. happened. It's been done. We don't need to worry about it anymore. We know that people will work online and can. Um, I've also noticed people retreating from it as well. So I think a lot of people are talking about, you know, they're, they're, they're enjoying their gardens. Uh, they're enjoying being at home. They're enjoying baking. So people have sort of retreated in some ways to much more traditional, old-fashioned ways of doing things. And that might 
I mean, I don't know, but that might be in contrast to this modern way of doing everything digitally. Um, and I've heard quite a lot of people say, actually, I really enjoy lockdown. Yes. So I think there's a lot of people, some of them are people I know who are furloughed. Some of them are people who are now working from home when they weren't working from home before. And they're actually really enjoying that experience, which is kind of strange because you think, well, surely you feel, I, I feel far more trapped myself. Um, but I think for some people it's, it's quite a nice experience. But obviously not everybody is having that same rather enjoyable, temporary, um, perhaps idyllic, you know, playing in the garden experience. And I think, so there's a lot of other people who I think are really probably struggling with this and either they don't have access to the digital technology or they are still fearful of it. My dad, he can still only use the phone. He, he, he just won't use the digital technology. It is interesting. I mean, as you're saying, a number of people who are adapting quite well and then the opposite of people that are still in resistance mode um, for whatever reason that might be. I mean, you know, for you, um, you know, looking at you know, with these things that you're observing, as you say, look, we've had an event that has pushed a mindset. You know, it's helped people get over the hurdle of when it won't work. But underneath there is this undercurrent of you know, does it actually really work? Yes, I can communicate in this way. But if we get into learning and whether it's effective, what sort of things are you seeing around that? So that is one of my real, um, yeah, passions, I guess. <laughs> is, is it effective? So I, I can see lots of people, you know, they're online, they're watching videos, they're perhaps listening in or watching and maybe even interacting in, in podcasts and webinars and, you know, they're, they're getting involved in, in some way. But I do wonder how much of it is learning that is going to be um, permanent, well, permanent or, you know, is, is going to be valuable in the long term because I think just watching a video, just watching content, absorbing content, that is not learning. That is effectively it's entertainment, even if it's, you know, purported to be learning. It's not. It's part of the learning process. And I think a lot of people, this is where the learning revolution you mentioned earlier on comes in. For me, I think if we can help people who are learning, call them what you like, people who are learning, if we can help them understand what the learning process is, what happens, you know, in their brains and their bodies in order to change what they actually do or to change what they believe, then that needs more than just being presented yeah. with information. So they need to take that information, they need to internalize it, they need to make sense of it for themselves, they need to analyze it. And then they need, if they're going to change what they do, they're going to need to practice, they're going to have to get feedback, either you know personal feedback or feedback from other people. And feedback's always a challenge because not everybody likes feedback. Um, and, and they're going to have to do, you know, practice the practice of a new habit or a new skill or a new technique or even new knowledge actually takes quite a long time it doesn't it just the first time you see something you're not going to remember it you might recognize it but you won't necessarily be able to recall and use that knowledge and information so for me the learning revolution is about getting not just L&D to um, to be more effective in how they design and deliver training online or not but it's about how do we help the learners be more effective in their usage of that learning so that even when they're given you know the, perhaps they're just given videos they can think to themselves okay so I've got a video now what am I going to do with that video how am I going to use that knowledge and apply it in my in my place of work or outside of work 
I mean, it is fascinating, Stella. I mean, um, like you, I'm fascinated with this area. You know, I often say to people, look, I can't make you love me. I can't make you learn. You know, you have to do that for yourself. And, you know, unless some, you know, you, you interact and you reflect and you apply and you do that a number of times, depending how complex something is, um, that's the only way you're going to know if you actually can then perform, transform, you know, be an advocate of that new way of doing it or not. It's just not going to happen. There is, um, and it's, it's incredible, isn't it, that we are sitting in 2020 and there is still, um, you know, a lot of education required to help people understand um, that it isn't, you know, watching something is not learning. I was really surprised in a conversation with a, a trainer who I will not name, the other day, an experienced person, you know, a real expert in their field. And um, I was talking to them about, you know, learning. And he said, oh, it never really occurred to me that it was the learner's brain that's involved. Wow. And I was really surprised. And, mm. and they genuinely meant it. They were genuinely kind of, in, and, and they, you know, they, they work in that sort of, they work in, in a field where, it's a, it, your brain has to change. So they know that the brain has to change, but they hadn't thought about it in the context of, of training and designing their training, thinking about the learner's brain. Mm. And that just to me was really surprising. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I am constantly surprised at the same topic that, you know, if that's inherent, your inherent job and the expertise that you are bringing to an organization, particularly um, often at scale. I mean, we are now, um, you know, sitting on a huge reskilling requirement yeah. that's coming up and to be able to do this at scale um, is an incredible challenge so we've got to step up the expertise and the expertise at the moment is very low so we've got a huge mountain to climb but um, I believe we can leap I mean you know your book alone Stella could absolutely help people just you know in practical terms really understand you know what I loved about it was this you know, just things you can read. And all of a sudden, I'm just writing stuff down and going, well, I can do that now. I can do that today. Yeah. And just these small changes that just make the difference that we need, basically. We just need to be just doing that at scale, don't we? Yeah. And I really think, you know, in L&D, we don't need to be neuroscientists. We don't no. need to be doing no. the research. We don't need, to, we don't even need to read the neuroscience papers. We just need to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing is there some evidence behind it? Is there some evidence to prove what I'm doing? Is there some evidence to say I could do this better? So it's all, for me, it's all about improving the um, learning design and learning delivery and, and the end result. You know, are people able to do their jobs better at work? Um, and are they happy doing it? It's also kind of really important too. Are they feeling fulfilled at work? But as, as L&D people, we need not to be neuroscientists, but if we don't even think about what's going on in people's brains, then it's going to be much harder to actually design consistently, effectively. Well, definitely. And I mean, the passion that I see, Stella, with, um, you know, people, professionals, L&D professionals, whatever title you want to give people, you know, the passion is there. And, and it's just um, we need to channel that passion very differently to make sure that we're not wasting time, money, energy and resources. And that's the thing that really gets to me is, you know, often when I'm working with um, an organisation, I see how much effort they've put in. And, you know, you sort of 
tune and dial up in a very slight different way and, and all of a sudden it starts to take off and and that's just this lack of this expertise and as you say you do not need to be a neuroscientist you but you do need to understand those basic fundamentals of how people learn yeah and, and, and it is about being practical so you know neuroscientists are marvelous but they don't necessarily know how to apply and, and I describe neuroscience very broadly yeah. for me that's anyone who's doing anything <laughs> to understand the human human brain and mind um but they're doing it have to do the practical application of it and a lot of what we're doing is great and that's good so keep on doing the good stuff and there may be stuff we're doing there is definitely stuff we should stop doing Uh, there may be stuff we're doing that there isn't even any evidence for yet and if it's working if the results are right that's fine carry on doing it yeah yeah but once you start to understand why what you're doing works, then it becomes much better. It's this thing of consistency. You can consistently deliver a really good, um, you know, deliver a, a really good solution. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, look, let's get back in this time machine because, um, you know, I, it feels really uncomfortable in 2020. So I'm going to take us to 2030, which... Um, wow which is a really interesting time. And um, having done some research on this period early in the year and looked at um, predictions from people like McKinsey, Deloitte, PwC, the World um, Economic Forum, who are doing these longitudinal studies and looking at these predictions. And of course, you know, there isn't just one way, there's a number of scenarios on the table. But, you know, um, the scenarios that have come out of the research so far and of course they will be changed as we go forward possibly um, and likely to even be accelerated because of the pandemic is that our workforces are going to be um, less permanent and much more agile and um, you know there's a at the moment there's a pendulum swing to only nine percent of people who could be in full-time employment. So a wow. massive swing. That's a massive, yeah. Massive swing. And, and I think when it comes down to, you know, the field of um, learning and talent and development and that field, that is an incredible opportunity from 2020 to 2030 to really, you know, help on that road. So as you and I arrive in 2030, for you, you know, what would have been your hopes and dreams? You know, for you, what would you want to be seeing in 2030 if that is the landscape from where we are today? That's a really fascinating question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, and, and that the, those statistics about the the flexibility of the workforce and the way they may be moving on and, and maybe having multiple jobs at once or you know, having jobs for short time. Again, I think that comes back to if they are really effective learners, because they're going to be, you know, that, that sort of transition is going to involve a lot of change and change involves learning. So if they're going to be really effective in their roles and they're going to be able to take on um, new roles perhaps faster and quicker and not have quite so much time to sort of, you know, become um, part of the organization, they may have to be more agile in terms of adapting to a new a new environment much quicker, then I think this this ability to learn fast and to learn effectively is going to be even more 
important than it was in the past where you were sort of led through, um, you know, a graduate trainee program and it took you on a journey. And then wherever you started the business, there was a sort of a really clear journey. But if everyone's going to be more flexible, then they're going to need to adapt more for themselves. And I think that skill of, of knowing how to learn will actually become more important. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to, you know, professionals working in this space today? If that's the, you know, that's the horizon ahead, what is it they can be doing today to, you know, so get the it, LD, ahead? LD professionals, do you yeah. mean, or, yes. or individuals? So I think, I mean, for me, if you learn to learn, then everything else you learn is going to be that that much easier. And I'm not saying learning is easy. We know learning involves a lot of change, a lot of energy, a lot of practice, um, and a lot of support. But if we as L&D people can teach people to learn or help, help them learn to learn for themselves, then that's kind of helping everybody because the learners will learn faster. We as L&D people don't need to perhaps be quite so prescriptive in the way we do things. Um, and perhaps we'll design better interventions that work with people who are self-directed learners, self, um, self-enabling learners. And, and, you know, that could be where having a really great repository of information might be sufficient because people can go dive into that repository and actually use it as opposed to that repository sitting there. And people look at it, but they don't know what to do with it afterwards. Mm, they don't know how to apply it. And Stella, you mentioned the, you know, I know we're calling them learners today, but, um, you know, that, that's great advice for the L&D community. And that's a very different place to where they are today. So huge amount of opportunity to, to change. But what about, um, you know, the, the workforce itself and how do people, you know, what advice do we give to them? In terms of dealing with the future? Yeah. So how do we get people as you know, prepared for this because, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, work lives have always been changing, but the pace of that is, it is going to, it already is, it already is accelerating. But for you and me sitting in 2030, um, you know, this is, um, you know, how can we create successful work lives? How can we help people do that in, in that kind of, you know, volatile and VUCA environment that is set to be upon us in every, in every stage of our work life? That's a really difficult question. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got an easy <laughs> or quick answer to that one at all. Um, beyond, you know, learn to learn, which I've obviously, I think maybe it's about being kinder to yourself, recognizing, recognizing that as things change, you need to hang on. Actually, no, I have got a, a, what I think is useful. When something changes, it's really, you focus on the change thing because that's the way our, our brains work. We focus on the change because that's what's important to focus on because it might be great, it might be dangerous. So you need to focus on it. So it's about recognizing what hasn't changed. Actually, what have I still got that's exactly the same? And so that the change is less frightening. Mm. So it might be about hanging on to, you know, it might be about staying in the same workspace, which actually if we're working from home, you could be doing entirely different jobs for different companies and you might still have the same workspace. Or it might be, you know, having a really strong routine in your day so that you always start your day with whatever you start with. Or, I mean, there could be any number of things, but I think it's about recognizing what hasn't changed and, and 
seeing that what has changed could feel frightening, but keep looking at what hasn't changed. So anchor yourself and make it less scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, that's a nice way of saying it. Yeah. It, I, I, I really like that. And I, um, look, I, there isn't an easy answer to this, but, um, you know, as humans, we're not, you know, we can resist or we can, you know, there's a whole spectrum of whether you enjoy change or you don't change. And also, quite frankly, what sort of change is it? You know, is it something that's come across us that we're not aware of? It's something that's planned. You know, there's a whole raft of, you, you know, um, of things here. But it's, it's, you know, particularly, you know, for me, um, you know, already, Stella, I mean, you and I are, have moved from 2015 to 2030. And, you know, we've had to change in whatever it is. So we're doing it anyway. It's just yeah. getting comfortable with that. And I actually had a very interesting conversation with a friend yesterday, and I haven't quite processed the entire conversation yet, but I had an interesting conversation with a friend who said she feels a bit nervous about going out. And after I'd had that conversation with her, I had to go out to the shops. Now, since we've been in um, Belgium, since we've been in lockdown, my husband hasn't been working and I have. So he's been doing all the sort of household stuff. So he's been the one going to the shops. But yesterday I was going. And as I went out, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, do I know how to go shopping? What do I, how do I shop in this new world? And that thought really went through my head. I thought this is ridiculous. I've been shopping for, you know, thousands of years. I know how to go shopping. But just because there was such a lot of concentration on this new world, yes. suddenly I was nervous of doing something. I have completely, you know, done. I am completely skilled at shopping. I can do it. <laughs> but I thought for a lot of people, that's probably also happening, mm. that they're, they're feeling vulnerable because the change has been so great. And I'm curious as to how quickly we'll go back to just adapting in that new world. But it's, you know, even something as simple as shopping suddenly feels like it's slightly new. Yeah. You're, you're, but you're absolutely right. And I mean, I, um, I do want to talk to you about women as well, because this particular decade, you and I are in 2030. And, you know, the other piece of research that I was looking at is that the decade between the 20 and 2020 and 2030 is supposed to completely transform the workplace for women or women transform the workplace. I prefer to look at it that way round. <laughs> now, look, as, um, you know, an, an expert in your field, Stella, and, um, you know, an inspiration to many women as well, what advice would you give to people if they want to be on that train of, you know, having, you know, better equality and um, the same opportunities, the same, um, you know, they want to carve out the work lives that they want. They don't want to be restrained by any of the stuff of the past. What advice would you give to women? I think for me, um, it comes back to what I was talking about before is about having confidence in yourself and thinking that, you know, I have, I have a, a view I have a right to express my view. I have a right to have my view heard. I have, I have the responsibility to, to, you know, check out that my view is valid. But I think it's about having rather more confidence in what you say or what you think and what you do than perhaps we traditionally do. I think we have a slight tendency to defer and to think that maybe we're not quite sure. Maybe we'll find out a bit more. And, and for me, it's, it is about just being a bit more confident about it and, and, believing in in 
the experience you've got and, and the ability to see, you know, how that can apply in the future as well. So in the time travel sense. Yeah. So just, yeah, believe in yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stella, I, you know, it's a great message. It's incredible how many people are not doing that. But I mean, for you, you know, um, I know a little bit more about you because I've been um, looking at what, what you've been up to. But for you, you was a woman in tech in a time where that must have been really interesting for you. So, you know, is that what you did? Is it just believing and, and just keep going? Is that the message? It's, it's really funny. Um, when I went into tech, so way back in the 1980s, <laughs> yeah. there were actually more women in tech then than there are now. Wow. So, so what have been, we done? What have I, we done? I, I don't know. There's, there, there were a lot of women. The, the first job I had, there were a lot of women in. And, and I worked in the techie part of, you know, I was a programmer and I was an analyst. And, and there were more women in tech then than there are now so there's something about the culture of tech that has changed and I think it's it feels slightly I don't know why you know I don't, I don't know why um so I think we need to change that culture again yeah and, and to get more women into tech and and I think you know maybe sometimes women so my daughter for instance works in cybersecurity, and I always say she works in cybersecurity, and she sometimes says oh but I just work in PR you work in the field of cybersecurity, you're sharing the message about cybersecurity. So you are working in tech. Yeah. And I think there are many roles that people perhaps can, so in that sense of, you know, working in a tech industry, you might go in through a different role. You might go in through a different route, but you may find yourself then enjoying that industry and becoming part of that industry. And I think that's quite an, an yeah. important thing to do that, yeah. you know, just because you're working in the technology industry doesn't mean you're necessarily coding or you know, a deep tech, a, a, a geeky technician. So it's spreading that awareness that actually there are women working and, and, and being proud of that, that, you yeah. know, I do work in tech. Yeah, absolutely. Opening people's eyes to, to yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. No, that's amazing. No, Stella, thank you for your insight in that. And I know that you will inspire people to basically just buckle up and get you know, and, and have a go and keep going. I but actually think just having a go. Yeah. Just I, be a bit brave and yeah. it's, you don't know what it is. You don't like, you know, coming to Belgium. I didn't know what that was going to be like, but I just kind of saw this opportunity and thought, I've got to give it a go. It's too good an opportunity to miss. And there are things that have been, you know, really scary since we took the move. But if I hadn't done it, then I'd be sitting there regretting it, thinking, well, I wonder what that would have been like. Yeah. So I think actually maybe that's maybe that's the advice. It's be confident and and give things a go. Check them yeah. out, but give yeah. it a go. Absolutely. Well, I, lo I love this curiosity of yours. So we're going to get back in the time machine, but you're going to drive now. Ooh. So you're going to choose what year we're going to go to. Where would you like to go? Oh, crumbs. Can we go backwards or forwards? You can go anywhere. You, 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 listen, you're in control. You can go wherever you like. Let, let's go to the year 3000. I love it. No, so, 3000, 30,000, 3000. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's interesting, isn't it? So we, we are, you and I have got, I love it. So I'm on a journey in the year 3000. Why? Tell us why you chose this year and, and what you're looking for, what you're hoping to see. <laughs> <laughs> I do have belief that um, humans haven't actually changed that much. Yes. In terms of how we really are. So yeah, we have all this fancy technology and we work in a, you know, we live in a much more sophisticated world than we used to. But I think at the heart of it, we're still, you know, the same basic kind of creatures we were. So I suspect even in the year thousand, three thousand, we'll still be having many of the same conversations that we have now and they'll be around family and they'll be around work. That's if we still exist. 
<laughs> you know, I love it. I love it. I love. I, I like your curiosity, but it's um, you know, I I agree with you. I mean, maybe we'll have more time to be human. Maybe we'll have even more time. We'll be letting the tech do the things we maybe don't want to do. Yeah, I really don't think that's <laughs> going to happen because I do remember, you know, ever since I first started, I can remember being at school in, I don't know, the third form or something, and they were talking about what would happen in the year 2000. And in the year 2000, we we're going to have all this tech and we'd have all this leisure time. And actually, the tech has just given us more things to do. We just yeah. cram more in. So I don't actually think that's going to happen. That we're, I think we have to, if we want leisure time, we have to make it. That we do. We have to carve it out ourselves. I like yeah. it, Stella. Now, look, you do so many of these podcasts, um, but I'm curious to know um, something about you that you think maybe the listeners won't be aware of, because I know they've heard you talk in so many places. So would you let us into your inner, inner world and tell us something that um, we we may not be aware of that may surprise people. Oh, crumbs. Um, I'm, I tend to be quite an open person, so I, there's probably not that much <laughs> in my inner world. Um, people might not know that I actually really, really love acting. Amazing. That's, um, that's incredible. So is this something that you um, indulge in? Um, I, I, I did. Uh, so for years and years, I hated the idea of at school. I didn't ever want to go on stage. I thought it looked terrifying, but I had this desire to want to be there, but I was terrified. Um, and then probably about 15 years ago now, I thought, I, I really do want to explore that and took up a, a, a short, like a six week acting course, um, you know, just one, one day a week, one evening a week and absolutely loved it. And then I joined a sort of a group where we met once a week and we put on you know little plays and things and it was just fantastic I really loved it and it was really inspirational it was so much fun you just lose yourself in it um and it's you know it's great for for work for the work we do because it does give you the skills even when you're thinking I'm really not sure what's going on in this talk or I don't know this audience whatever it is you just go right yeah Breathe. Today, today I am the expert. <laughs> I love it. I'm and you go this... on and pretend to be the yeah. expert. <laughs> well, lucky enough, Sally, you don't need to do that, um, of course. And I Thank know you, you don't like being called an expert, I know. But you absolutely are. You are an inspiration. Look, I'm going to um, thank you so much for bringing on that learning revolution today. And I know that you're going to inspire people to do the same. So um, thank you so much, Stella, for your time. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. It was lovely to talk to you, Jane. I hope you enjoyed the People Who Know Work Life podcast. If you want to listen to more incredible stories, why not subscribe to the podcast series today? Thank you.